This event was recorded live at the 2016 Edinburgh International Book Festival. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Ruth Wishart. It's my very great pleasure to be chairing this afternoon's event at the Edinburgh International Book Festival. Now, as we know, it's not unusual for politicians to have their careers defined by a single event or particular instance. And, and uh, Tony Blair, for instance, will probably have Iraq on his gravestone and um, Brexit probably shapes a historian's view of David Cameron's premiership. But in a Scottish context, few individual incidents in living memory have had a greater impact or caused a greater controversy than the Lockerbie bombing and, of course, its aftermath. The bare facts, of course, are all too familiar. A Pan Am flight came down over Scotland in December of 1988 because of an inboard bomb killing 270 people. 11 of these were on the ground. A subsequent a subsequent trial under Scottish judges sitting in the Netherlands convicted one of the two accused, Abdelbasset al-Megrahi, who was then freed from imprisonment in 2009 when suffering from terminal cancer and sent home to die in his native Libya. But, you know, far from drawing a line under this affair, the questions about its trial and its outcome and the background to that release continue to swirl around the Scottish judiciary and the body politic. The Lockerbie, Lockerbie affair to date has spawned a Scottish criminal case review a joint police Crown Office investigation into whether McGrahy acted alone, and a second dedicated police operation into the conduct of the Crown and some police officers themselves. This latter one was prompted by a campaign group, Justice for McGrahy, who believed the original conviction to be flawed and unsafe. There are also have been a number of books, both fact and fiction, examining the truth of the Lockerbie outrage. This latest has caused particular interest as it's by a former Justice Secretary in the Scottish Government and the man who made that decision to release McGrahy. So please welcome Kenny McCaskill. Mm. Now we probably need about six hours to cover everything yeah. here, so we're not going to. Absolutely. Let's just try, if we may, Kenny, home down on the, the, the main events mm. and one of which, of course, was the trial. Mm. Now, at one part of the book here, you say that uh, uh, McGrahy didn't buy the clothes in, in, in mortar, which were wrapped around the, mm -hmm. the bomb. And, um, and uh, another point, you say that he had a relatively small part in the affair. Mm -hmm. So what's your, why do you think it was all right and safe to convict McGrahy and sentence him to that 27-year sentence? Well, I think you've first of all got to track back to the, the, uh, the trial when we're mentioning that. I mean, we've got to remember this trial wasn't just brought about by Scottish justice. This was, you know, as I put in the book, uh, the plane that picked him up was UN liveried. This was international politics. Uh, this was done to try and facilitate the rehabilitation of Libya because the Western powers were seeking to have them on board to deal with Islamic terror. Uh, equally, Libya was seeking to get out of sanctions that were crippling and causing real harm. Uh, this was agreed in the United Nations and Kofi Annan and others were involved. I actually think that uh, others disagree, but I think McGrahy was involved. I do think he was a bit part player. Uh, the major person responsible for this was ultimately Colonel Gaddafi, supported by Sunusi and various others in senior positions. Uh, but I don't buy into the fact that McGrahy just was an accidental individual there. Never mind the fact that there's clear evidence that, you know, a lot of money ran through his account throughout the years. He was clearly... Yes, yeah, but setting aside what he may have done beforehand, mm -hmm. he was convicted of a particular act and a particular crime. Mm -hmm. 
and from what you're saying, he was put in jail because of politics, not because of anything he did? No, I, I think he, I think there was involvement there. I think the trial was extremely difficult. I think the conviction is extremely weak. Equally, I have to say, uh, there's some people in prisons in Scotland who can basically argue that the case against them is not particularly strong, but I certainly wouldn't be campaigning for their release given the events that they carried out. Equally, I have to say, you've got to, I think, cut some slack to those involved in the investigation and the prosecution that was extremely difficult and quite assiduous. And I have to say, I think uh, bad-mouthing and, frankly, defamatory comments about individual officers perhaps planting evidence are just not true. And I exculpate not simply the Scottish police in that, but I think the American authorities, I don't believe evidence was tampered with. Equally, just because McGrathy had a minor role doesn't mean uh, that you don't face the responsibilities but of your action. But he wasn't convicted of a minor role. He was convicted of being the man who planted but the bomb, who brought down a plane which killed 270 yeah. people. But equally, if somebody carries out an armed robbery on Edinburgh Book Festival here in Charlotte Square and they happen to be the driver sitting outside and somebody discharges a gun, then they will be faced in the charges along with that. that but they won't be put in jail for the same length of time as the man with the gun? No, I think yeah, there, there was an international uh, deal uh, done and uh, I don't believe that McGrahy bought the clothes. Others disagree, but I think there's real doubts about that given you know, meteorological evidence. Equally, I don't accept that he just happened to be passing through Libya on a false passport with no clothes chumming his friend. As I've said, I've, I've gone with mates to buy a car in Peebles or places like that but I've never flown to a different country without a case and a false passport. Well, can we just, can we just, no, I understand all that, but there does seem to be a lot of, of loose ends which mm. remain stubbornly untied here. And one of them is um, the suggestion and the allegation mm -hmm. that when McGrahy and, and his, mm -hmm. uh, the man who was freed, Fahim, that, that they, when they arrived in Libya, neither of them were, were carrying luggage, and yet in your book you're suggesting that it was a piece of the luggage they brought in which was subsequently used for the bomb. I believe they probably took the case in. Uh, we don't know what went out, because after that came through Libya, and we've not really had any cooperation whatsoever. Uh, but the suggestion is that they went in without any luggage, and that's the point put forward by them. They came back, uh, certainly McGrahy came back with no case uh, whatsoever. I mean, I think so can you be sure that that case was his? No, I can't be sure. Uh, you know, this is going to run and run, as we were saying earlier, Ruth. This is up there with the grassy knoll or with 9-11. Equally, I don't believe that it was the CIA that shot President Kennedy, nor do I believe that it was others than those who carried out the 9-11 bombing who did it. But you don't also believe that it was McGrathy who planted the bomb? I don't believe McGrathy had the technical skills to create the bomb. There was a remarkably good bit run on a Channel 4 uh, programme, I think, it was and also in the New York Review where uh, a guy was named as the probable bomber but the culpability here goes this was carried out by you know Libya it was state-sponsored terrorism I think the best definition I got was put by a police officer you mentioned Tony Blair who said to me who went into Iraq and you go the coalition of the willing and you go who did the Libya the Lockerbie bombing and you go right enough it was a coalition yeah, the of reason, the willing. The reason I'm focusing down on this particular mm -hmm. aspect is that you know, what's on, uh, not on trial here, but mm. what's in dispute here is mm. the validity of Scottish justice. And, and, and just, well, just let me mm, tease that mm. out because, you know, if, if, well, let me just read what you said in the book on the trial. Mm. You said, in many ways, as with McGrahy and FEMA, 
Scots law and its judges were simply actors in the theatre that had been created mm -hmm. to circumvent and solve both a diplomatic impasse and a political problem. Scots law convened the trial and yet found itself on trial. Do you think Scots law comes out of that trial well? I think it comes out reasonably well. I think those involved in Scotland acted uh, honestly, impartially, with integrity. Uh, I don't always agree with the prosecution, and I've certainly never always agreed with the judiciary. But I don't believe anybody uh, deliberately set out to do anything other uh, than carry out their best. And I think the police did a remarkable job, and I felt humbled when I met officers who had been there at the time and what they faced in a time before we understood PTSD was remarkable, as were the actions of the people of Lockerbie. But I think we've also got to remember, as is quite clear in the book, this is one event. Lockerbie is not just the Lockerbie bombing. There was a prelude to it. It started off with bombings, you know, airport attacks by PFLP and, you know, Rome and in Vienna. No, no I understand all that, but goes, McGrath, he went to jail, yeah. uh, convicted mm -hmm. by a Scottish court, yeah. albeit sitting elsewhere. He mm -hmm. went to trial yep. and to jail specifically for this specific crime, yep. not for anything that had gone before or terrorism worldwide, for that specific crime in that specific yep. place at that specific time. Yeah, I, well, I think that the, you know, we don't know what a subsequent appeal might have brought out, uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it would have exculpated McGrahy. It might have said that there were doubts about a conviction, but equally that happens in many cases. But we've got to remember the, the indictment initially was against a lot more than simply McGrahy and FEMA. Uh, the British, for example, did get Musa Kusa, a senior player in Gaddafi regime, out. Uh, they got him out through Tunisia. Uh, they debriefed him in London. He currently stays in a six star hotel in Qatar, who's funded that, we don't know. Yeah, but Nobody but, but, sought to pursue him. No, no but, but that you're taking this away. From, this book is about Lockerbie mm. and about McGrath mm. and about the trouble. Let's, let's talk about the appeal, because of course no appeal. Yeah. There was a, a criminal cases review, as mm. I said. Um, there wasn't an appeal, and the reason there wasn't an appeal mm. we'll come on to now, because there was um, an agreement made between uh, the UK government yeah. and Libya for a, P, for a prisoner transfer agreement, and the only Libyan a yeah. uh, prisoner, of course, in Scotland, yeah. happened to me, McGrahy. Now, had um, that transfer couldn't go ahead while there was still legal, mm -hmm. uh, uh, while a legal situation was running here, if there was an appeal un in underway. Mm -hmm. However, he didn't get released because of that agreement. Mm -hmm. He got released because of on compassionate grounds, and, mm -hmm. and that didn't that didn't carry the same guidance. I mean, you could have released him on compassionate grounds and we still could have had an appeal. Why, why didn't we? Well, first of all, you know, there was an application for a PTA. I have to say I would normally have granted a prisoner transfer application. I have been criticised by the Express and the Mail and papers such as that for saying that we'll bring home our own prisoners from, you know, Peru or wherever. And I always think, having a say in the book, met Jerry Conlon, who had served for the, uh, for being fitted up and uh, charged with offences relating to the IRA that hadn't convicted, you should be in your own community, age rehabilitation, besides which a family have never been involved. But it became quite clear that the British and the US had given an assurance at the time uh, that the sentence would be served in, the UK, in Scotland. And I took the view that that trumped it. I have to say uh, the British were not particularly forthcoming, but Eric Holder, who was at the stage I was speaking to him, the US Attorney General, had also at the time of the, the trial been the Deputy US Attorney General, said assurances were given that the trial, if a conviction occurred, would you know see the sentence served in Scotland. And I took the view that overrid whatever I would what, normally do. What about the appeal? On, on, uh, on the appeal, that's a matter for, you know, you know, McGrahy and his family. And as we were saying earlier, Ruth, I think what's clear is that, you know, the McGrahy family have stayed away from this. 
You see, the, 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 the strong feeling, I'm not talking about mm. people who are involved in any mm. groupings here, mm. but the strong feeling in the public was that he dropped the appeal in order to get released and it was his legal team that finally uh, got in touch with you and said he's not going to go ahead with the appeal. And McGrath himself seems to have said that he thought that would ease his passage back mm. to Libya. So it, it sounded externally as if that was the deal. Don't go ahead with the appeal and we'll let you go. No, it was his decision. As I say, I think I point out in the book when the Libyans first came in, because the first was the first prisoner transfer agreement ever made as I recall, uh, where it could be made by a state, not simply by the individual. And I think the normal position, and I think I can't be of any other one, uh, but the application that did come in, uh, when it first came in, the Libyans already were having a signed renunciation of the uh, abandonment of the appeal uh, by uh, Megrahi, and they were told that is entirely irrelevant. It was for them and their decision. The basis of compassionate release, you know, uh, he met the criteria. He met the criteria well, of three the months. Cri the guidelines were that, mm -hmm. uh, as, you, as you make quite clear in the book, that you, mm -hmm. you're expected that you will not live longer than three months mm -hmm. and that you'll be uh, fairly, you know, in the terminal stages of your illness. But of course, although that was mm -hmm. the guidelines that were utilised, as we know, McGrahy uh, lived for some years afterwards. Equally, yes. Uh, that's beyond my control. I do argue that there were medical evidence, uh, medical uh, facilities available that wouldn't have been given as a Scottish prison. I also think it's a testimony to perhaps to the human spirit that if you're in a foreign country, you turn your face to the wall, you decline treatment because there's nothing to live for. If you go home and you're with your family, then you uh, have you know a Christmas to get to, a birthday or whatever, or an anniversary. Uh, but that, together with the uh, particular drug that we didn't prescribe in the NHS, at that stage, you know, went beyond it. Equally, the evidence that was put to me said he had met the three-month criteria. I'm not medically qualified. Those who gave it did so, I think, honestly, on the basis of the information available to them. And I don't think it would have been appropriate for me to go around every consultant in Scotland to try and get some to repudiate No, no. It. I guess what I'm really mm -hmm. asking, Kenny, is if mm -hmm. uh, he hadn't dropped the appeal, would he still have been still released? Gone. They were gone. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the, you know, the, had he chosen to continue the appeal, you know, which was actually the, the, the preference of the, uh, of the, first, the then First Minister, he would still have been released. Because there, among the people you see in the book, among the people who had badly wanted that appeal mm. to go ahead were the, the families of the victims mm. because mm. they had still a load mm. of question marks about mm. who was responsible mm. and why, mm. and they wanted an appeal to ventilate yeah. some of that. Are you disappointed yeah. that they didn't have that opportunity? I think in some ways. Equally, though, it's like the clamour for an inquiry and the Scottish Government should be doing this. At the end of the day, I don't know if we'll ever get to the bottom of this. Equally, I'm highly sceptical as to whether a Scottish court or a Scottish inquiry could ever get to the bottom of this, because the information we require at the present moment is heard by intelligence, held by the American security services, probably shared in some stage with MI6. It's also kept by those such as Sanusi and Saif Gaddafi, who are still alive and are in prison in Libya, you know, they're not going to be brought in on a warrant to a Scottish inquiry or indeed to a Scottish court. So I think there's a lot of information. Some of it will be known to others, but not to you and I. And it'll be known to the British and Americans and to the Libyans. Uh, there's others that probably we will never find out. But you can see why people are still curious, you know, with the number of question marks. Mm -hmm. For instance, if we could just go back briefly to the, the actual incident itself. Mm -hmm. um, 
you're quite convinced in the book that the the suitcase in question was loaded mm -hmm. in Malta, went mm -hmm. to Frankfurt, was transferred mm -hmm. from Frankfurt to Pan Am 103, mm -hmm. and subsequently that plane was blown up. However, um, it's also clear that some people believe mm -hmm. that the timer that was used would have blown the plane up 38 minutes out of Malta had it, um, had it been mm -hmm. loaded there. Mm -hmm. A lot of people believe it was loaded mm -hmm. in Heathrow. Why don't you? Well, I, I don't believe that. I think, first of all, there's clear evidence that the case landed in Frankfurt and it came in on the what flight from Malta. What is that evidence Malta. exactly? Well, it's all the uh, information that is held by the German authorities about where things were tracked, how it got there and what then went on. The item that is not known is how did the case get put upon the plane at Malta? I speculate that it was probably done by FEMA, who'd been in charge of uh, uh, Libyan Airways in uh, Malta until just a few days before and would have had a badge and could have got behind. It could have been done by McGrahy, but I tend to think FEMA would probably have been the guy. There could have been a mole or an agent in there. But you see, all, nobody these, knows. all these questions, and you say nobody yeah. knows, so how can we be sure that it wasn't loaded? Uh, at Heathrow. Well, I think you'll find that Operation Sandow that's uh, currently investigating will show that that did not happen. I don't believe the suggestion of a break-in in, uh, Heathrow. And I think there's also a logical basis about why you wouldn't do that. Are you suggesting that people bought clothes in Malta, because clothes were bought, they were on the flight, transported them to Heathrow, broke in very, in a very difficult, you know, we're not talking about going into a, into a, just a hangar or something like that. You're going into office accommodation, you're going 700 metres. So you go to Malta, you buy clothes, you come all the way to Heathrow, no, no, you break into the case. Nobody's disputing that there, were, that there were clothes that may have been bought in Malta on the plane, but they couldn't no, belong to anybody. Well, but they, they were clearly where the seat of the bomb was. There's clear evidence there that those clothes that were bought were actually where the bomb had been you, placed. You, you say, I mean, you, you've talked quite correctly about how difficult mm -hmm. it might have been to load mm -hmm. all of that on at Heathrow for the reasons you've just articulated. But you also say in the mm -hmm. book that security and baggage checking was actually much more stringent in Luca Airport in Malta than it was well, in... Well, I say security was more stringent at Malta because... But you think they managed to bypass that no, more stringent think, security? No, I think what you'll find a lot of the security was the perimeter security in many ways because it was done by the military, not by civilian authorities or the police. That's why Malta had a more significant security because of a, a terrorist incident there where a plane had had to be uh, uh, boarded. So I believe that the case went on at Malta. How it went on, I don't know. The suggestion by the Crown, although they didn't push it at prosecution was that uh, uh, there was a position at uh, Malta, Air at Luca Airport, that if it was less than five cases out in the reconciliation between those that had been boarded and those that the guys were putting on at the uh, hull of the plane, then they didn't unload the plane and then do an individual check. Is that your case, madam? Is that your case, sir? I have to say I've just took time after Parliament to fly around the world. I've done a lot of flying and we were talking about this earlier. I have never, ever been taken off a plane because there was a baggage reconciliation because the numbers were out. I tend to think that there was probably a lot of truth in the suggestion that if they said the manifest says 250, we've counted 251 or 248. <laughs> Are we going to get them all off and say, are those your two, are those? It just didn't happen. I think they just went equally. Let, let, they could have you know, done something else. I let, don't let, know. Let me move, mm. if I may, to um, there was a very difficult relationship mm. at that time between the Scottish government and the UK mm. government. In the initial negotiations with yeah. the UK government about the prisoner transfer, yeah. um, Jack Straw seemed to suggest to you that there wouldn't be much of a problem. And then 
Certainly, there did seem to be a big problem. Well, I think uh, we were saying earlier, I mean, I met Jack Straw in the Caledonian Hotel for a working breakfast. He then came across to meet the First Minister in, uh, in Butte House. I think he was clearly unsighted. He had realised that there had been a stooshy had blown up over Megrahi. And, and we were saying, well, he's the only Libyan prisoner take him out and he basically said yeah I don't see that as insurmountable and we left thinking there wouldn't be a problem and obviously what happened was four six weeks later or whatever when foreign office and treasury said no you don't uh, there's bigger issues that's why I had to take the call from him saying it's to do with BP you know you know how important BP is to British strategic interests and uh, asked so no. the UK government wanted the transfer to go ahead in order that the oil deal with uh, with um Libya would go ahead? Well, it wasn't just an oil deal. As I have mentioned, when Professor Black and Lord Trifgarn first went out to advise Gaddafi about the defence of FEMA and McGuire and others, they went on a flight produced by Babcock and Wilcox uh, that provided the plane. Uh, my good friend, some of the defence agents were flown out of Libya at one stage in their difficulties in a flight provided However, by Tiny Roland. But getting on to the yeah. deal. Well, Britain had a deal. Remember, it was a two-way deal. Britain wanted commercial arrangements. And I remember Jack Straw, said, if we don't, if BP don't get the deal, it's going to Halliburton. I've always wondered what would have happened if the Americans had got the contract in Halliburton and got it, given its uh, significant relationship with a lot of very senior politicians in the United States. But that was it. Halliburton were going head-to-head -head with BP, and BP were worried, as were the Treasury and the Foreign Office, that had BP, had there been an issue on McGrahi, then the deal right, might have so been... So we've got reported. here uh, an impasse. Because the UK government, for their own reasons, want McGrahi mm. released because of other uh, larger considerations in their mind. Um, you don't want him released because of the political considerations at this mm -hmm. end and because of the, the representations mm -hmm. made to you by, by various other people. And so it seemed to me at that stage, um, compassionate release, which is a, a fine Scottish mm -hmm. tradition, I may say, mm -hmm. and I'm having no quibble with that. But so the most American states have it as well. They just chose but, to deny yeah, it. When but, but compassionate release seemed to me almost mm -hmm. a handy get-out clause. And you actually say in the book, that at this point nobody had actually applied for a compassionate release. And I wonder if, if you thought it might be useful to plant the thought of applying for compassionate release. Not at all. I mean, I remember it was in the September of 2008 when I was first advised by the chief executive that there was a, uh, he'd been diagnosed with prostate cancer and it was terminal. And you knew then that was an issue. We had no idea of timing. Uh, no, had he not met the criteria, he would not have been released. But he met the criteria. It wasn't so much about meeting the criteria. I was just wondering why the genesis of this came about. I'm wondering if, if it was because the prisoner transfer had become politically toxic, if, if you suggested perhaps to somebody that it would be much easier if they went for a compassionate release? No, uh, you know, we're not in control of that. We can't make the application. You can uh, suggest that somebody does, though. No, but it wasn't suggested by myself, and as I do not believe it was suggested by any official acting on behalf of myself, whether the prison service or the Justice Department. Uh, they knew that, uh, you know, they were well advised. They were the best, they had the best lawyers in every jurisdiction that money could buy. I mean, uh, I know that from chats with friends who were uh, defence agents, how they used to meet up, and uh, they had lawyers in America, they had lawyers in France, they had lawyers in Germany, they had lawyers in London, they had lawyers everywhere. Uh, so they knew about that. Equally, when we were initially going through it, and the prisoner application, transfer application came in, uh, there was no application for compassionate release, and at that stage it didn't look as if it would be met, but it subsequently became clear one was coming in, and so you had to have some parallel thoughts. But that, all that came from, uh, uh, came from Libya. But, you know, I think in a wider sphere, I think where you have some, uh, uh, some 
you know, view, and I think we're, the perception of it out with, exactly the same as going back to the early 90s and the trial and resist the desire almost globally to get somebody sorted and in the frame because the world needs it, the UN, UK, everybody's looking. There then became a scenario where it was almost in reverse, where so Nelson Mandela was obviously involved with the, of, you know, the uh, organization of African saying, states. Are you saying they were looking for a useful scapegoat with some mud in his hands and blood in his hands and, and McGrahi fitted that? No, I think McGrahi actually had his fingerprints over various aspects of the Lockerbie bombing and uh, uh, has been rightly implicated. And I think that's uh, his position I stand by, but there was a desire by the wider world because what you can't do is take the Lockerbie bombing in isolation, Ruth. You can't take the yeah, Lockerbie yeah, but, bombing but in isolation. I have, I have it's a wider in terms of the, No, but I have to in terms of the trial. I don't have to. Well, in terms, uh, absolutely. But the trial doesn't happen in isolation. In international affairs where the Scottish judges and Scottish police service are entirely oblivious to what is going on when, you know, the UK Foreign Office, the American Intelligence Services are engaged. All of this was ongoing and there was, you know, Downright yeah. hypocrisy. Talking of lawyers everywhere, mm -hmm. yeah. when you wrote that book, yeah. you, you were threatened with legal action yourself yeah. because there was a public interest immunity certificate from the British government and it was suggested um, that you might, um, you might find yourself also in the dock over, over mm -hmm. revealing some information that was privileged. Well, I'm, I have to say, I'm not, uh, I'm not surprised. Well, I'm surprised that it hasn't been picked up by the, 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 the Scottish press because the, the, I've put in there that there was a PII certificate, a public immunity certificate, where papers are told not to publish. I remember speaking to the UK minister when he said that they were not only going to stop the story, they were going to stop an entire edition of a major and leading Scottish paper. And I did say to him, well, the people of Scotland will notice it if it doesn't come out, you know, but they threatened it. Has that been mentioned in the papers? I think we should mention the paper, don't you? No, it was the Herald. It was the Herald. They threatened to close down the Herald for a day, and I said to Alistair Burt, because it was by this time a Tory government, I said, you know, <laughs> the people of Scotland will notice if the Herald so doesn't the come So the Foreign Office said to you that if, you, if that information comes in the public domain, they would shut down the newspaper that printed it? And the foreign minister said that they had threatened the Herald uh, with closing down an entire edition if the story ran. Not just the story, they would close down the edition. Now, as I say, it's for the Scottish press to decide how they take my book, but equally I am rather scan... Well, not... I'm holding some contempt that it seems to be McCaskill's an idiot and the Scottish justice system doesn't know it's, frankly, backside from its elbow. But there's no mention of rendition flights that the British signed up to do that was the deal, because it was a two-way deal. Gaddafi got something out of this. Gaddafi got prisoners returned to him that he tortured. Prisoners that we then actually supported to topple Gaddafi, who we are now launching strikes <laughs> because they're now back as the bad guys. And equally, uh, as I say, no mention of you know, the fact that this was an interference with you know, a newspaper the, the of some renown in Scotland. The, the Scottish government also um, tried to get something out of, of the deal. Um, you tried to get some movement from the UK government on two issues. One was air guns and one was the difficulties you were having with slopping out in prisons. And the, and the, and Not and on the deal. That wasn't on the deal. But that was when the prisoner transfer agreement was being entered into. We, we had no control over the prisoner transfer agreement, and we knew it was going to happen. We thought, we'll try and get something out of it. As it was, we got nothing out of it. And in any event, the prisoner transfer uh, application was rejected. So we got nothing out of it. The Scottish government, and indeed Scotland, got a black 
spot, not simply the bomb that landed and devastated the town of Lockerbie. We got dumped with this and told, get on with it. Meanwhile, you know, the British, the Americans were conniving. Uh, others were all over there. When you read, you know, about what the American perspective, they were complaining because, you know, European firms were all over Libya and getting access, so you had the chair president of Marathon Oil saying the Europeans are all over there, and I didn't have space in the book. But the relation between, between President Sarkozy and, indeed, <laughs> Premier uh, Berlusconi with Gaddafi was something else. That would have diverted the book even well, before, further. Yeah, well, but that's why you can't view Lockerbie as just Lockerbie. This was a global event that happened to impact upon Scotland, but in which... The Lockerbie bombing was but a sideshow in many ways. Well, we, we, you know, we can't get into the sequel just now mm -hmm. because there's so no, much. But, but if there's just a couple of things, as mm -hmm. I say, because I'm very anxious to let the audience in on this, there's a couple of things um, I mentioned at the beginning and you mentioned in, mm -hmm. in passing there. There are still technically at least two, thing, two investigations still ongoing. Mm -hmm. One of them is a Scottish uh, Police Crown Office joint investigation mm -hmm. as to whether or not there were other accomplices, and if so, who were they? And the other one is, a, is what you mentioned, which is a discreet police investigation into whether the Crown Office itself and some police officers yeah. acted uh, in, a, in an unfortunate manner with regard to the investigation. Now, it seems to me these two things are contradictory because of the, if McGrahy has yeah. accomplices, um, mm. uh, you're assuming McGrahy did it, but on the other side... If, if that conviction was unsafe, we can't no, assume no, McGrahy I, did I mean, it. I, I don't say McGrahy did it. I say McGrahy was a bit part player and had a role in it. I don't believe he was an innocent choir boy, but just how primary his role, I think, well, is... What do you was expect to come out of Operation Sandown <laughs> where the Crown Office and the police activities are being investigated? I think what I expect to come out of that is that the Heathrow break-in did not happen, uh, that the bomb actually went on at Malta, uh, and moreover, I think the disparaging uh, comments made about individuals, whether those who some are on the bench, uh, our senior prosecutors or indeed police officers will be, uh, you know, uh, shown not to be uh, the case. Uh, uh, you know, they, it's always been an open uh, book that, uh, uh, and an open indictment. There were more on the initial indictment than simply uh, McGrahy and FEMA. They were the only two that, lo uh, that they, the uh, Libyans were prepared to offer up. The other guy that's been accused and named certainly in the uh, New Yorker as the likely bomber, the Libyans refused to allow access to, and even the defence team were not allowed access to him when he was in Libya. So we're agreed they that McGrath is not the bomber? McGrath is not the bomber. I don't think he's got the technical skills to, to plant him. Planting a bomb is, you know, those of us growing up in the UK with provisional IRA, you've got to have skills that you blow yourself up. And we agree, and we're agreed that he got charged as the bomber and convicted as the bomber and sent to Scottish jail well, as you, the bomber. You got, well, you know, exactly the same as if, you know, you rob a, you rob a, you know, you're, you're the driver and you rob a bank, you take, you know, a, a caseload of drugs, you know, you're involved in drug dealing. You know, he was part of what was a, a, an international, uh, a, an international crime, but it goes back and it goes beyond, it goes beyond Libya. And it comes back to the point we were making, you know, you know, why do I think Libya was involved with this? Well, first and foremost, Colonel Gaddafi admitted it. You know, in an interview with the Washington Times, the Washington Post says, yes, we did it. And as I said, he actually said, had we started it, we wouldn't have done it in Malta. Though if you remember, the then King of Jordan um, hmm? uh, wrote a letter saying... It That's was a PII actually, certificate. Which the, which, yes, hmm? which was the Palestinians. Hmm. That, that you might face charges under Official Secrets Act. I'm going to take my chance on that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. But, 
you know, it came back to this, because it's got absolutely nothing to do with the Lockerbie bombing. You know, I couldn't understand why, and it, you know, the argument is that this letter from the King of Jordan sent to John Major saying it was the Palestinians in something like 1992 has been refused, you know, to be published. Actually, I know that the Crown in Scotland have taken the view, just publish it. We can repudiate it, the same as, you know, Channon, when he was the Transport Minister, came out and gave implications that it was the PFLP. At one stage, it looked it was the PFLP GC that did it. But of course, it's only subsequently come out, why did the Tory government take the view? Well, actually, it was nothing to do with Lockerbie. It was all to do with trying to get Abu Qatada back to Jordan. And they didn't want to alienate the Jordanian government, as far as I can see, because, you know, not only you know, are many of the protagonists in Lockerbie dead, but the then King of Jordan, who you, wrote it, has passed away. Do you away. remember the conversation we had before we came in here, yeah. where I said yeah. that a lot of the audience are starting from scratch here, yeah. so we mustn't yeah. get into too, too many... Ten. Well, I've just been in context for them, Ruth. So yeah. we've been, you know, and we've already yeah. been in Jordan yeah. and Syria. Yeah. And, and yeah. So on that, on that note, we're going to let the audience in. Uh, there are two microphones, ladies and gentlemen, and if you'd be kind enough to wait for one to come to you, there's a gentleman in the front row. We can start with him, and then there's somebody back there. Yes, I see you. Coming in a minute. At, at times, your, in fact, generally speaking, your general demeanour this morning, mm -hmm. including your body language, uh, the, rate of, the rate of your speech as well have led uh, one to be very unconvinced by your uh, sincerity. Um, I, in a way, it's maybe not fair on you because you're a politician and deals maybe have to be done, but it's hard to believe that a deal wasn't done, particularly in, in reference to his, his release. Um, a deal done by who? By me or the Scottish well, government? Well, by you or, or by, by, the, by the London government or, or the pair of you? Well, I, th I, th I think there was a deal done by the London government with Libya. I've never denied that, and if you read the book, you'll see that. But there was certainly no deal done by the Scottish government with Libya because we had nothing to gain. We gained nothing. Uh, all we've had out of this is actually grief, starting with the bomb that descended upon a small Scottish town, and we've had to live with it ever since. Individuals, whether it's judiciary or indeed police officers, have been maligned. But uh, no deal was done. Was there a deal done? Absolutely. There was a deal done to get the Trocabe trial up and running, and it was done by Britain and America in conjunction with the UN. Was there a deal done to try and get, you know, McGrahy and out and a deal with Libya? Of course it was done by Britain and America. But it wasn't simply over Lockerbie, as I was saying to Ruth. Let's remember this was also about you know, access to commercial deals, which we had no control over and got nothing out of, and indeed the rendition of prisoners to Colonel Gaddafi that has played down. So all of that was going on. Prisoners were sent back to be tortured by the British government in collusion with the Americans. And exactly the same as I always remember, it came out even in you know, September of 2009, just after I'd released them in July. The PSNI were training Gaddafi's elite battalions, the one that we had to then bomb in bombings of NATO. PSNI were over there training. We were getting pilloried as a Scottish government, but the British government were training Gaddafi's elite, you know, elite forces. Okay. So there was no deal done by us, but there were certainly deals done internationally. Gentleman there, and then the gentleman here. Yes. Uh, Yes, you, you've located the, um, um, the bombing in Malta, but that was the case for the prosecution had yeah. to establish that Malta was because they had, obviously, the two defendants who were in Malta on the 21st of December. But th then they had to produce evidence in, in order to convict them. So you had someone like Tony Gucci. Um, the shopkeeper. 
the rat, yes, from Mary's house, identifying mm. maybe three years later clothing and, and be able to point his finger at, uh, at um, Al-Megrahi, which is, I think, highly dubious, but of course, uh, one's memory can be... Um, do, do you have a specific question? Sorry, rein, just a yes, second. reinvigorated by um, uh, the, the offer of a million dollars. And then, of course, uh, Iran offered 10 million for, for, to bring down a flight. And, and, and the 10 million, two days after, the, uh, after Lockerbie, went not to Malta, it, it went to Frankfurt, because, as you also have said, that the, uh, the, the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine General Command had the ability to, to plant a bomb. They managed to put two on the El Al airliners. Mm -hmm. So therefore, they were capable of that bombing. And, that bo and therefore, it was Frankfurt that, 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 that the bombing w was established in. And if we have Al-Megrahi and FEMA at all, all they had to do was, was, was when Gaddafi said, we can help to Iran, they would be obviously going and negotiating with Sorry, with I'm them. really sorry, no, sir, but no. there's a lot, there's so much no. detail yes. there that we can't get into, no. and I really Did need to they, get to any questions were as they, possible. Were they involved because of the fact that they went and negotiated with the, with the uh, Popular Front? Because they want, Popular Front says, yes, we would need a timer, and we need ten million dollars. Right. Thank you they for that. They got the timer. Well, they got thank the you. ten million dollars. Thank you. So they're the responsible. Thank you very okay. much, sir. I mean, I, I, I think you, sir, if you read the book, and you, you always have read some of it, I make it quite clear that I do believe that the precursor was the bringing down of the Iranian airliner by the SS Vincennes. That the Libyans did put out a bounty of ten million. It was accepted by the PFLPGC, but in October. Uh, before the December of the Lockerbie bombing, uh, the German security police intercepted and broke up, you know, a PFLPGC. I don't know what we would call them if they were the IRA. It would be an active service unit. They arrested some 10 people who had Pan Am schedules, who had Pan Am tags. They were going to bring down a Pan Am flight. I think what's quite clear, and it's made clear by Colonel Gaddafi when he spoke to the Washington paper, he said, had we, st had we planned it, we wouldn't have done it in Malta. I think what happens is that the PFLP took the deal, took the money from the Iranians, and as we speak to the Americans, as we speak to Mossad and the Israelis, all these people knew something was going on, and the Libyans simply said, you've got a problem, we'll help you, and we finished it off. Right now, That's why I think and how it came about. In the interest of gender equality, I'm going to put the lady in the front mm. first and then the gentleman over there. <laughs> Uh, um, I haven't read your book, and I am a bit confused about everything that we've heard, mm -hmm. so this may be a naive question, but mm -hmm. in answer to the questions that have been put to you about where there in, was there a deal and where you said, yes, there were international deals, there were deals with this mm -hmm. country, UN, and so on, the impression you get is there's poor little Scotland, helpless in all this, with deals going on all around us and nothing we could do. Is that a wrong impression? Mm -hmm. No, I actually think in many ways it's, it's a rather unflattering impression, but, you know, yeah, we didn't, we're a, the Scottish government, I'm no longer a politician to the gentleman there, I've uh, stepped down and retired. We have no control over foreign affairs, we're dependent on, on the British for that. It's a foreign office. So the Scottish government had to deal with the legacy of this 
with no real ability to be able to act. We knew that there were things going on, but we didn't know what. I wasn't privy until Jack Straw told me that they were working for BP. Equally, I didn't know until afterward in research the deals about and came out in the Human Rights Watch report about how Gaddafi got his, uh, he got his prisoners back. So you've got to remember we had no control and little influence. We knew things were happening, but also it suited people to be able to put the blame on somebody and to say it was Scotland. Because Obama, Clinton, Straw, all of them came out and said, don't agree with it, absolutely appalling, and they had been conniving and working for it. We actually delivered what they wanted, which was to let McGrahy go. But what I can give you an absolute assurance is we did so following the rules and regulations of Scotland, which is why we refused the prisoner tra transfer application. We granted the prisoner uh, compassionate release application, as I would do for any prisoner, and I think it was the right thing to do, but the other events we had no control over. Gentlemen there. Like the mic. Kenny, I think you used to be a member of the Tartan Army before you went into government. Uh, this is a Tartan Army story from this year. Luca Airport, end of May, flying back from uh, Scotland's defeat against Italy. There was a bag discrepancy of one or two bags on a flight from Luca to Amsterdam. Everybody had to get off the plane and select their baggage. Now, I admit that's 2016. Round about the time of Lockerbie, I think it was 89, not 88, I was in Johannesburg and everybody had to get off the plane to, take, to check their bag. The one exception being South Africa at that time, the black passengers had to get off the plane to check the bag. The white passengers, if you gave your slip to the stewardess, she would do it for you. But I have seen these checks carried out, so I suggest you put a little bit more faith in the, uh, the airport security. We're going back to Malta at the beginning of next month, so I wouldn't want your early remarks suggested. Luca is very casual about these things. It's not, not my experience. Airports take it seriously. Okay, now, gentlemen there, I'm, I'm just going to go straight because that was more a statement. Gentlemen there, and then a lady in the, in the corner. Yes. yes, with the spotted dress on. No. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed, oh. Kenny, for a wonderful talk and an interesting book. Now, you've been taken to task for the fact that you have used an awful lot of knowledge that was internal, and they even threatened to accused you for the uh, Securities Act. Uh, could you just comment on that? Because it's really so ludicrous, because almost all of what you use is in the public domain. Well, it does. Uh, I think that's a very valid point. I mean, I have to see what this book does is pull together information, such as the Amnesty International report in 2009 that shows that uh, the PSNI were overtraining Gaddafi's elite battalions. The Human Rights Watch report uh, from subsequent to that that shows that uh, prisoners were rendered by MI6 to the CIA and by CIA uh, back to, uh, to Colonel Gaddafi. Uh, a lot of the stuff that came about, the fact that and I've never seen it mentioned in the Scottish press that the so-called hero's reception that I was pilloried for did not occur as is portrayed. Uh, and both the British and Americans must have known that TV footage was spliced together and there's not been a mention of it. So I think I've put together a position that gives my take. You can still a doubt as to how the case went on at Malta, but I think what's clear is a case from Malta, from that plane, landed in, you know, Frankfurt. That was, you know, what triggered on the events. 
We'll never know unless you know, somebody else comes forward, or the Americans probably do have information, how it got on the plane. But on the plane it did. Not just the criminal trials in Scotland showed that, but the fatal accident inquiry under Sheriff Principal Mowat also said the baggage went on at Malta. It was for that reason that Pan Am financially collapsed. You know, Pan Am went down, not because of the Lockerbie bombing, but because of the claims that followed thereafter. And that is a clear indication. I have no doubt some business people in America who maybe suffered because of Pan Am crashing might very well be taking a different view about getting money back if they thought there was something that we'd be able to disclose that wasn't the case. So I think I just take the view. I've put it out there. You know, my reputation's been kicked about all over the place. People tweet, say this or that. I stand by today what I did at the time, and we did it for the right reasons. The lady's right. I don't like to view us as some innocent abroad. I think we stood up and tried to fight our corner, which is why we tried to get something when the PTA was going on. But we had no claim or influence over what was going on between the UK government, the American government, and indeed the rest of them, because their hands were not clean. You know, big business was in there looking for commercial deals, the tiny Rollins, the Babcock and Wilcoxes, the oil companies. They were wanting a deal, and equally, there was a pressure coming to try and stop, you know, the, the issue of you know, crucifying Libya and making peace with them. Right. Now, we're going to go to the lady in the spotted dress, and then we've got two hands that have been up, a gentleman in a blue shirt there and a gentleman in a black. Mm. Oh, sorry. Mm. I'll come to you as well. You can have that microphone mm. and they can have the other one, OK? Mm. Right. Off you go. Um, my question is about you as a, as a person. Mm -hmm. And um, reading the book, I felt incredibly angry and frustrated on your behalf. And I just wondered, mm. I suppose it, due to the fact that you're continually questioned about a trial that you weren't the judge for, and also um, the fact that you just experienced so much duplicity um, throughout the whole, the whole proceeding, um, how did you cope with that? How did you actually manage your frustration and anger? Because you certainly didn't come across as anything other than professional. Well, I think at the time, I've always been about it, it's a bit like playing football or whatever, if the ball's coming down the air, you keep your eye on the ball and you do that. You've got to remember it happened over quite a short period of time. I mean, McGrath got ill in the September, uh, you know, everything kicked off in the March and basically, you know, the, the announcement was made by me in the August. So it was a constrained, very heavy period. But you're right about some other aspects. I do feel rather contemptuous about, you know, the actions of the Labour Party in particular, the role of the British and the American governments, and indeed... What I still think in Scotland is an obsession with McCaskill was an idiot and the judicial system and the police are numpties that don't know anything. Meanwhile, there's no mention made about rendition of prisoners. There's no mention about the duplicity of when the so-called heroes reception did not occur. And I haven't seen that referred to in a Scottish you know, media outlet when they clearly, you know, there was no heroes reception because the Americans, not just us, had made it quite clear it won't happen. That's never been mentioned. Okay, so I'm contemptuous, I think, for a lot of the powers that be. But as Ruth and I were saying, I've just now realised that international politics, it's all about might and power. Going back to the lady there, we didn't have a great deal of might and we had very little power. We were set up to take the rap along with others. You know? Right, now we're going to... <laughs> that, that lady there got the mic, if you just hold your question for two minutes... If we could get the other mic to the gentleman who's trying to be patient in the blue shirt, who will then maybe pass it back to the gentleman in the grey shirt. Just as well I got new glasses, eh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, I, 
Sorry, just to bring this yeah. back again to the root of the bomb. Mm. Now, um, you, you seem to put all your faith on the Frankfurt evidence here, but mm. the end of the Frankfurt police report itself says mm. there is no evidence that the Lockerbie bomb came through Frankfurt. Mm. Most of the records were lost. They were piecing it together on some minor bits of paper that they were able to find, and the conclusion of the of the actual German police was that there was no evidence the Lockerbie bomb came through Frankfurt. In terms of Malta, this whole business about a discrepancy of five was something the prosecution tried on in court, which was disproved. And there has been an enormous amount of forensically detailed work published in recent years about this. Now, you mentioned Operation Sandwood. You're dismissing Operation Sandwood, which has not yet reported by saying that, oh, Operation Sandwood will find that the bomb came from Malta. On what grounds are you today giving us a preview of a police report that has not yet been submitted to the Crown Office? Well, I, uh, well, we'll see what Operation Sandwood says. But, uh, you know, we might not have might and we might not have power, but, you know, Scotland is a village and I know people and I've spoken to people and indeed I've spoken to police officers about this. Well, I you, have, have you no spoken to police officers who are involved oh. in Operation Sandwich? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and, they, and they've had no difficulty in revealing well, things I think the, the Justice for McGrahey the Justice for McGrahey uh, the, the uh, committee wrote to the police saying you should speak to Kenny McCaskill because of the points he made I met with the police and we had a nice coffee and a chat and a discussion I'm perfectly relaxed about uh, Operation Sandwood and we'll see what comes out but you know for the broader interests of those you know, uh, let me go back to why I believe it was Libya and McGrahey had a minor role, one Gaddafi said so. He made it quite clear. We did it. We wouldn't have done it this way had we started it, which is why it was the reigns of the PFLP until something. Two, the National Transitional Council, who we supported in overthrowing, you know, McGrahy, uh, Gaddafi basically said, yes, you know, we did it. They've never sought to deny that, you know, because I remember having to take a call to one of the gentlemen, you know, I think their justice minister, I've forgotten his name, I think the, the name's in the book, when it, he had better things to do as shells were whizzing about than having this courtesy call with the Scottish Justice Secretary to say, can you keep matters secure because the Lockerbie is an ongoing investigation. They accept it. And I also think the evidence that went before the fatal accident inquiry, before the trial, before the appeal, all indicate, you know, there are issues that are concerned. The gentleman raised about Tony Gauci. I actually think Tony Gauci didn't, you know, uh, tell lies. I actually think for all the information I've had from police officers and others, he was a very simple man. You know, he, he gave his information about the clothes being bought willingly before money became involved. But, you know, you I think there's say, clear doubts. Sorry to interrupt you, Kenny, but you do say in the book, though, that he changed his story several times. No, I, I, well, I think because, you know, Eyewitness evidence is very, very difficult. If we go out of here and everybody in this room gets inf you know, investigated or interviewed, what colour shirt was Kenny McCaskill wearing? What height was he? What height's Ruth? What age are they? You'll get things that will go from, you know, he was 40 to he was 70, which you'll get him to be in a blue shirt. Him, which would make him not particularly right. Well, eyewitness evidence actually isn't, you know, you know, isn't the best evidence that you've got because, you know, unfortunately we're humans and uh, failure there. I think Gauchy gave his evidence appropriately. I think it is, though, tainted because in Scotland, you know, and having practised as a lawyer, never mind being Justice Secretary, you don't get five pounds for giving evidence, never mind, you know, a million. That clearly complicates matters, given what I'd said before. Just a little. That doesn't mean 
that doesn't mean that Gouch himself is a bad guy who just decided to go and tell lies. I tend to think that wasn't the case. I tend to think, you know, he just had difficulties. People put, what about this one? And that's where, and, and to be fair to Gouchy, he never actually says that is the man. It's always caveated in, well, that looks a wee bit, you know, it's very difficult. Right. Um, gentleman in the blue shirt. Yes, thank you. Two questions. Mm -hmm. Just because Gaddafi says mm -hmm. that he did it, mm -hmm. does that necessarily mean that he did? And the other, if you don't mm -hmm. mind, what do you make of the report that prior to the bombing, that certain American diplomats in Moscow were advised not to take a Pan Am flight from Frankfurt, and also that some American service personnel and some South Africans, including P.K. Botha, were taken off the flight. Well, I'm not aware of P.K. Botha being taken off the flight. That's I think never been. Well, let's before, forget about P.K. Botha. What, what about think, the rest you know, of dealing, it? dealing with the two aspects, uh, uh, the Helsinki warning did occur. The Americans knew something was going down. It's exactly the same as we get warnings here. If the British intelligence picks up that there's a ISIS, you know, uh, active service unit or whatever terminology going to plant a bomb in Edinburgh, London, or wherever, then the warning is raised. So the Helsinki warning went out. Moscow and indeed our mother American consulates were told there's, you know, potential bombing. I don't think they knew the specific flight, but they knew there was something. So the Helsinki warning is true and is documented in the, uh, in the book. I've forgotten what, what was the first part, the first... How do you know just because Gaddafi well, said Gaddafi, it? Well, it wasn't just, you know, Gaddafi that said it. I think it's quite clear that the National Transitional Council accepts it, you know, and it comes back to if it wasn't them who you know, did do it, but Libya, Libya did it, and it's also, you've got to remember that, you know, shortly after this, you had the Air France bombing in Niger that was on a par with this, that was carried out by Sanusi, who was the senior operations officer who's currently on death row in Tripoli at this moment, and to whom, you know, uh, McGrahi had a relationship. So I think there's clear evidence that Libya did it, as it did other things, you know, the Labelle pub bombing, all of these things were ongoing, the timer and other aspects. And equally, though, the likelihood, you know, there was a Helsinki warning because they knew something was happening because they'd picked up PFLP GC, you know, bombers, and they knew something bad was being planned. Now, we're going very cleverly to get one of these mics to the gentleman in the grey shirt who's been waiting for a... No, not that gentleman, the gentleman with the beard. Yes, sir. Thank you. Uh, I have read your book, and I also read a pretty scathing review by James Robertson mm. uh, of the book, and yeah. I know that James Robertson's yeah. part of the Justice, Justice for McGrahi. Uh, one of the criticisms he makes is that uh, much of the, 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 the evidence, there's only, there's a number of references uh, in your book, uh, but there's only four sources, and that much of what you say is very much, it's speculative. Uh, now, what I'd like to ask is, given what you said on the stage today about uh, conspiracy theories and, and so on, uh, and that you've downplayed much of the, uh, the, 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 the contrary theories from uh, uh, groups like Justice for McGrahi, uh, how you can then sit and actually infer that there's been conspiracy uh, with MI6 and uh, the, the American authorities. So why should we believe you on that aspect and not on the, the, the other aspects of potential conspiracy. 
Well, I think, you know, you don't need to believe me at all and you're entitled to think I'm driveling, but you can go away and you can look at the Human Rights Watch report that is out there that has been unchallenged by the British government, that has seen cases brought against Jack Straw because of his culpability involved in rendering prisoners, including their pregnant wives. All of that is out there. It was not been able to be pursued in the British courts. So that's a matter of fact. Uh, what I do accept is I've not laboured the book with lots of footnotes, references or whatever. I don't believe that's necessary. I've written a book to give my uh, testimony, my story. It's not an academic textbook and Mr Robertson can like it or not. Equally, I read his book uh, and just sometimes I prefer punctuation, but there we go. <laughs> I don't think James Robertson's here today. <laughs> However, we've got time for one more question, and there's a hand went up very quickly there on the aisle, and happily for me, quite close two, by. Two, two things have always intrigued me about the politics and mechanics yeah. of his of McGrath's uh, release. The first one, Kenny, is: Did any of your cabinet colleagues at the time make a really serious attempt to talk you into making another decision? And secondly, how is it possible to have a convicted terrorist, terrorist flown out of the country an hour after your statement about his release without detailed involvement by the British government on security grounds? Oh, well, two things. First of all, no, my uh, cabinet colleagues left it entirely with me. I kept the First Minister appraised. Uh, but it had been decided as soon as we knew McGrahy was ill in the early juncture of the first nationalist administration that you know, there would only be one person who would be taking responsibility for it because you can lose a cabinet secretary but we weren't going to lose the first government and that's how it remained and I'm grateful for the support of my colleagues. In terms of the arrangements with the Libyan authorities, the British government were involved because you've got to remember that the British government had to have a scenario planning. Had, the British, had I decided not to release McGrahy, then the British government had already been discussing the potential evacuation of British citizens in Libya. They had plans for the potential evacuation of the British embassy in Libya, all of which, given events that we've seen both in the Middle East and elsewhere, I stand by because of the risks that were there. The discussions with the Libyans were that they would have a jet fly in. They didn't know the decision until uh, you know, an hour before, as was the same courtesy given to uh, victims. But they agreed to have a flight that would come into London, I can't remember whether it was Heathrow or Gatwick, would then be heading up to Scotland within an hour if they, uh, if they knew it was a yes, and it would actually be in the air, and if the decision was a no, then it would simply abort its flight and go. So the British government were involved in scenario planning, and as I say, it comes back to the point the gentleman was making about conspiracy theories. Just let me say, <laughs> we first got contact when Musa Kusa came over, I didn't meet Musa Kusa. Uh, he was subsequently taken out by MI6 through Tunisia, debriefed in London and now is in Qatar. Uh, but he insisted on coming over. I remember that when that happened, I didn't actually meet with him, but my staff did. The British ambassador in Libya insisted on being present and another gentleman who was in the lead insisted on being present. And I remember because my private secretary was telling me about this afterwards when I was talking about writing the book, they insisted on being present because of the significant role of Musa Kusa. And I went back out of interest and checked, and I haven't artifacted it, but I do refer to it in the book. The ambassador is named, but the other gentleman is redacted. 
because he was clearly the MI6 officer, because the initial discussions with the UK Embassy and AAA had to be on secure lines, which we really don't have, actually, in, in St Andrew's house, uh, not that they have elsewhere. So that information is out there. The best thing I remember about the Human Rights Watch report was speaking to one of the principal people who put it together. And it comes back to what I say about this being much, much bigger than Lockerbie. Much bigger indeed. But he said their human rights activists had been all over the Tripoli once the bombing had gone on. He said you could walk into the Justice Department. Papers were floating about. There was no security initially. And they came across a letter that was, and I paraphrase, but it was, Dear Musa Kusa, we hope you enjoyed you know, the oranges that we sent you. You know, yours, the CIA. Exactly, exactly the same as the British ambassador and representatives were regretting that they missed having Christmas lunch, I think it was, with Musa Kusa once Gaddafi fell. You know, we took the rap for Lockerbie, but there was huge international deals going on that were commercial and were security, and we were just flotsam and jetsam, the same as the bags that fell upon the poor town of Lockerbie and the people there. You, you can... Um You can, tell ladies, you can tell, ladies and gentlemen, when a politician uh, becomes a writer because they, they craft a lovely uh, note in which to, <laughs> in which to end. Um, I should perhaps say in, in relation to secure lines that when uh, the then Justice Secretary was talking to the then Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, he was doing so from an airport lounge in Orkney Airport, yeah. which probably isn't the securest line in town. <laughs> um, I have also read this book, and if, I think it's evidenced by the, the big turnout today that this is a topic which continues to fascinate, and, and Kenny will be able to talk to you about it in more detail and to sign copies of it if you go into the signing tent, which is left and left again. And I should also say that um, while there's been a huge amount of scepticism about everything concerning the Lockerbie trial, it's not easy to sit in front of a jury of 600 people. So please thank Kenny McCaskill. More podcasts and videos of Edinburgh International Book Festival events are available at www.edbookfest.co.uk on iTunes and YouTube. Just search for Edbookfest.